invite you to turn in your Bible this morning, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and um, this morning we're uh, just continuing to move through this magnificent gospel. I, one of the things that I, I just um, love to see is how God uses, isn't it amazing how words on a page um, really become the foundation of your life as, we, as God reveals the truth about who He is and who Jesus is and who we are and what it means to belong to Him and how to live uh, in light of all that He has done for us. It's um, uh, these words, by the power of the Holy Spirit, become a living food for God's people. So I hope you're looking forward to that this morning. Luke chapter 9, if, you would, if we would just read through the chapter, you would see that there's two themes woven together, um, particularly through the first 36 verses. In fact, if you have your Bible uh, open before you, just notice how the two themes of um, the nature of discipleship and the identity of Jesus those themes are woven through, back and forth. So if you look at the first paragraph, we're going to look at that this morning. Um, what does it mean to be a disciple? Uh, Jesus sends them out and gives them a mission. That's what disciples do. And then you have the question about who is Jesus, as Herod is asking the question, uh, who is this about whom I hear such things? Verse 9. And then the nature of discipleship in verses uh, 10 through 17. And we'll be looking at that as well. What do disciples do? Then who is Jesus? And Peter confesses who he is. And uh, then you got again at verse 23. What does it mean to be a disciple? Take up your cross. Then the transfiguration. Who is Jesus? So those themes are going to be weaving their way through uh, this chapter. We're going to look this morning at the nature of discipleship as we find it in verses uh, 1 through 6 and then 10 through 17. And so let's give our attention uh, to God's word this morning. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics, and whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Let's go to verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fishes. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he had, and, uh, had them sit all down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces." Let's ask the Lord to bless this word. Father in heaven, you uh, know us, you know our lives, you know our needs, and we thank you that you give bread this morning in your word that's able to feed us and nourish us and strengthen us and sustain us. So give us ears to hear today, 
and to see Jesus. Lord, we would see Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. This morning we have uh, one of the most well-known uh, stories in the Bible, one of the well, most well-known miracles of Jesus in the feeding of the 5,000. And I would assume almost everyone here has heard uh, of that story. You've heard sermons preached on uh, that story. You might be thinking, uh, now's about the time I can check out because I don't think there's going to be anything new here. Well, um, I would just, just uh, invite you this morning to trust that the Lord might have something to say to you from His living and dynamic Word. And uh, this is a fantastic um, story we find again here. It's interesting that this feeding of the 5,000 is the one miracle of Christ that appears in all four Gospels. It's the only miracle that Christ performed that we have in all four Gospels. And the reason, I believe, is that this miracle, of all the miracles Jesus did, this seemed to have an incredible impact upon the disciples. Uh, this had a, um, a tremendous significance for them and we're going to find out why it had such a great significance for them as we, as we go through the message this morning. So as we noted before, uh, we find these two themes this morning, the identity of Jesus and the training of the, of the disciples. And this miracle becomes a, just a hallmark, a miracle for the training of the disciples. They will learn so much from this that they will need to know as they go into the world as Christ's disciples uh, ambassadors of the gospel and lay the foundation for the New Testament church. They will need this miracle, and we need it today as well. What we find here, I just have two main points this morning, uh, if you have your outline. First is, uh, the, the first six verses here, uh, we find the disciples engaged in an internship. They're being trained. Jesus gives them a ministerial internship. And then in um, the feeding of the 5,000, we find an exam. Did they learn anything? And uh, so let's, with those two broad uh, points, let's look together at the text. First of all, the internship. Uh, Luke tells us he called the 12 together. As you all know, Jesus had uh, many followers, uh, some who were somewhat informally affiliated with him, others who were very tightly associated with him, think Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but of all the people that were more or less inclined toward Jesus, who followed Jesus, he had chosen 12 men to be his uh, primary apostles, they, uh, disciples. They would become the apostles except for, of course, uh, Judas Iscariot. Uh, these 12 men clearly are pointing back to the 12 tribes of Israel as Jesus now is going to create a new Israel, a new people of God, a holy nation out of all the nations of the world who belong to him, led by uh, these 12 men, founded on the teaching of these 12 men. And so he called the 12 together and he's training them and now he's going to send them on uh, to do an internship. We all know what internships are like um, in many, many fields. Uh, you, before you get to actually um, get the authority to, to do the thing, you, before you're recognized in that field, you have to do an internship. Uh, whether it's medical field, whether it's, um, we have Wayne Veenster is going to be an intern uh, this summer. It's 
It's a commonly practiced way of training people to do the thing they need to do. Well, this is quite an internship. Uh, Jesus doesn't just let them put their big toe in the water in a sense. Uh, Jesus lays the whole thing on them. Notice what he does. He called them together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. No one would return from this internship and say, well, it just wasn't really worth that much. This is a magnificent internship. The disciples must have felt the, sort of the solemnity of it and the excitement. You see, for, for over two years now, they've been watching Jesus go about his ministry. They've heard his sermons and been amazed by them. They've seen Jesus do astonishing things like healing lepers, like giving sight to blind people, raising dead people, casting out demons, even a whole legion of demons in the demoniac uh, in Gennesaret. They've seen amazing things, but they primarily have been watching and listening and watching and learning. They're starting to put the pieces together. They're getting an ever-increasing understanding of who this man is, Peter's going to profess, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. They're starting to get it. But they've been watching. And now Jesus sends them to do the very things that he was doing. I don't know if you noticed in our text this morning, but Jesus sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And then if you looked at uh, verse 11... It's exactly what Jesus is doing. The crowds learned it. They followed him. He welcomed them, spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and cured those who had need of healing. This is what Jesus had been doing, and now he calls these 12 men and sends them to do the same thing. But notice, he equips them first. When God calls, he equips. So he equips these men with, with power. This would be Jesus' power, divine, supernatural, spiritual ability to do things utterly beyond their native ability. How would you like it if someone uh, just, right, if Jesus said to you, I'm going to send you out and I want you to, uh, I want you to cure people of leprosy and, and I want you to um, heal the blind. I want you to raise the paralyzed people that have been paralyzed their whole life. I want you to just go and, and say my name and I want you to raise them to life. Like, man, I, I mean, preaching's one thing, right? Uh, I can preach and... I just let the Holy Spirit uh, do his thing. But, but a healing ministry, it sort of raises the ante in a sense. Because what if you'd go to the, the leper and say, be clean, and there he's, there he's sat. Just as leprous as he was before you spoke the words. It's, you're going to be revealed as a fraud very easily. That's why TV evangelists who are in healing ministry have a very select um, list of right, diseases or ailments that they try to heal. But that's another sermon. But um, this is a big deal. And they have no ability to accomplish these things. But Jesus gives them power, his power, to do what they were unable to do. He also gives them authority, which means they have the right 
to do it, which is a big deal when you are engaged in spiritual warfare. If you remember that story in the book of Acts, where there were these men who saw the apostles casting out demons, and they thought, that looks cool. And so the, the, seven son, the, the sons of Sceva, and they went out, and they were casting out demons in Jesus' name. And uh, the demons got wise to it and said, uh, we, know, we know Paul, we certainly know Jesus, but who in the world are you? And they beat the tar out of these guys. You see, they had, they had the ability by speaking Jesus' name, right, by, the, by the power of God. They didn't have the authority. They didn't have the right. And when the demonic forces realized they didn't have the authority, they beat the tar out of them. So it's, it's, it's not enough to have the right. Do you have the, the might? Do you have the right? Well, if you're going to engage in spiritual contest, if you're going to engage the forces of evil, the demonic forces in the spiritual realm, you need both. And Jesus gives both to them. They have everything they need to engage in this mission. And what is the mission? He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now again, notice, it is the casting out of demons and the healing that probably grabbed your attention, but those were, those were signs pointing to the big deal. The big deal is the message. They were sent to proclaim. Remember Jesus says, I came to preach? They were sent to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. The king has come. The king is near. And that has implications. That has obligations attached to it. This is a time to recognize there is a king and lord over your life. And you ignore it to your peril. You, uh, you need to respond to this Jesus. There's a message of grace here. If you will confess your sin, if you will repent, he will receive you. But if you ignore him... You will be condemned. You will be judged. That's the whole deal about uh, uh, knocking the dust off your feet. That seems like a strange thing. Jesus said if they, if they receive you, you stay there and you preach the gospel. You preach the good news to them. If they reject your message, just brush off the dust from your feet. What's he saying? Well, when the, um, the Jews were familiar with this, one of the things that Jews uh, understood or believed is that Gentile territory, Gentile dirt in a sense, was contaminated. So when they traveled from Galilee, which was in the north, to Jerusalem, which was in the south, there was this whole area in the middle called Samaria, which was unclean. But, and then over here on the east, there's Gentile territory. But rather than going through Samaria, uh, Jews from Galilee would jump across, come down through Gentile territory, and then once they got far enough south, would come back across the river, Jordan, back into um, Israel, back into Judah. But as they came over that border down south, they would knock off the Gentile dust from their feet, lest they contaminate God's holy land. Jesus is saying that if people reject you, you just let them know that by rejecting your message, they are rejecting God. They are as Gentiles. No matter what their ethnicity might be, no matter what their religion might be, they might promise that they are good Jews. If they do not receive the message that I give to you, the message of the kingdom of God, the, mes the message of the gospel, what God is doing in Jesus Christ, they are pronouncing themselves to be Gentiles, not belonging to God. You manifest that by brushing off the dust from your feet. You see, the, this, the reality of Jesus Christ coming into the world lays an obligation upon the world. 
If you are sleepy in church, it is one of the most dangerous things to be. Far better not to be here at all, you see. Because they, by, by, and by sleepy, I mean spiritually apathetic. If you are apathetic about the things of God, you are pronouncing yourself to be a Gentile. That you do not belong to God, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your religious pedigree, no matter what you might profess to believe. A ongoing apathy about God, a resistance to the message of the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're pronouncing yourself as a Gentile. So it's serious ministry. This is not, the, this is not just a pretend ministry that they're involved in. They are engaged in the ministry of Jesus Christ in this sin-cursed, lost, broken world. And Jesus gives them very careful instructions for how to go about this. Notice verse 3. Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money. Don't have two tunics. It's a dependent ministry, isn't it? I mean, don't take anything with you. Now, this isn't the, 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 how it always is going to be. The, later on, we're going to read where he sends out uh, 70, and they go out, and Jesus says, take along provisions. But this time, their first internship, don't take any provisions along. Why? Well, Jesus wants them to learn a critically important and essential lesson of discipleship and of, of doing ministry. See, although they've been given spiritual might and spiritual right, spiritual authority, and will be able to do amazing things and preach this amazing gospel, it's they're going to do it utterly, daily, thoroughly dependent upon God. Every step of the way is going to be a step of faith and dependence upon God to provide for the most basic needs for their own well-being. It's going to be a dependent ministry. They're going to learn that God is sufficient for all the basic things of life. And so he sends them out. And what's the result? Well, they departed, went through the villages, preaching the gospel, the good news, and healing everywhere. Can you imagine what a thrill that must have been for these guys? Do you remember who they were? I mean, some of them were just common fishermen. Their best day was a good catch of fish. Some of them had been vile sinners. Matthew was a tax collector, reviled by everyone. Matthew gets to go. Matthew gets to preach the good news. Matthew gets to heal people. I mean, it's amazing the, the, the blessing of this ministry that they have. Never in their wildest dreams as young boys had they ever seen themselves doing this. It just shattered Every notion of whatever boyhood fantasy they might have had about what I'm going to be when I grow up. They get to be ambassadors of the king of kings. They get to be channels of the grace and power of God in a world that is desperately in need of it. Have you ever done something for someone, something that they needed to have done, something they could not do for themselves, and just experience the joy of being able to fill that need? Imagine going to people who are diseased and with a word raising them from their sick bed or people who are paralyzed or handicapped in some way. And with the word, you're able to 
utterly transform their life. And better yet, imagine you're speaking to people who are on their way to everlasting condemnation. They're, they're caught in sin and they don't even under, they have no idea how to get out from under it. And you can proclaim the good news that they can be spiritually and forever free. It's incredible. And that's what these guys get to do. And so it's no surprise to, to read verse 10. On their return, the apostles told them all that they had done. What a conversation that would have been. Everybody speaking over everybody else. Lord, we were over here and we, and we found this person and we said this. And they had names and testimonies of, of examples and what God had done through them. It, I can just imagine Jesus just sitting there and smiling as these disciples are together delighting in what just happened. It's unbelievable what God had, had al allowed them to do. People had come to faith through their ministry. People had, had been raised uh, from their sickbeds, and, and um, people had become aware, awake to the fact that Jesus Christ, the Messiah of God, was there, present in the world. Just a note for us today. of that. This is the ministry God's given to us as a church. Uh, maybe not, we don't have, uh, I believe, the ministry of casting out, um, of healing people in the way that they did. Uh, I think this was a, a unique moment of redemptive history as Jesus wants them to know, these, these apostles, these men, to know the truth of the gospel and the power of God. Um, the evidence that we have today has changed lives. But we have the ministry of being in a lost, broken, sin-cursed world and, and preaching the, the gospel of God, trusting that the power of God is able to do all that people need to have done. We engage spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. We engage the brokenness of this sin-cursed world, and not just with a word, but with deed, with loving deeds of mercy and kindness. We're engaged in this ministry. If you are bored as a Christian, one of the very best cures available is to consider how you could become a channel of gospel grace and gospel truth and the mercy of God to those that God has placed around you. One of the things I'd love to see our small group uh, small groups do are just groups of friends do, is consider together, who could we bless? What need could we, could we meet? How could we proclaim the gospel to those that are of, of the folks right in our community, right here around us? It's one of the greatest joys of being a disciple of Jesus, that we get to be ambassadors of the gospel. We get to be channels of life-transforming divine grace. We get, if we don't do it, the world's not going to do it. We are called by God to be ambassadors of His grace. And so, oh man, what an exciting ministry. That's why I say it's an amazing thing to be a Christian. Well, so the disciples have their internship. They come back and they tell Jesus all about it, and He leads them to a little place of retreat, Bethsaida. It's going to be a nice, quiet time. Of course, that's not what happens. The crowds hear of it, verse 11. They followed Jesus. And he doesn't say, folks, listen, we need a break. Um, it's, been a, it's been a big uh, couple weeks, and I just really need to, I, I need you to just go home. That's not what, Jesus, not what happens. Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had needs of healing. One of the things you're going to find, if you're going to get serious about being a channel of the grace of God, if we grow in that as a church, being ambassadors of the gospel to folks who need it here and around us, we're going to find that the ministry just doesn't stop. That the needs 
are ever-present. And there's really no vacations from it, right? There is a world of need in this building and in this community. A world of need. And the need is Jesus. And so we have a sort of non-ending job to do. We'll never be done, which is what I love about being a minister. Never, you never get to the point where you say, well, we did that. Now what? <clears throat> We're always doing this because the needs continue around us and within us. And so this becomes a wonderful opportunity for Jesus to give his disciples an exam. So the they're out, Jesus ministering to these people. It's kind of a, a desolate place, and the day begins to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging, get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. I just love how these guys, now with their fresh, with their newfound ministerial authority, right? They, they can do this. Uh, they calmly assess the situation. And then confidently explain to Jesus uh, the appropriate course of action. So here's their assessment. There are many people, about 5,000 men, who knows how many women and children. They're in a desolate place. There's no food available. Uh, the day is wearing away and people don't have lodging and provisions. And so the disciples decide to alert Jesus to these facts. Since he is clearly oblivious to them, it's somehow slipped his mind. And they tell him what needs to happen. I can just imagine the look on Jesus' face as, as they're now explaining to the Lord of the universe what needs to be done. Right? Would you, would you love to have been in that conversation? Uh-huh. Lots of people, huh? Yeah. No food, sure. Yeah. Send them away? Huh. I tell you what. You give them something to eat. He absolutely floors them. <clears throat> he commands them. You give them something to eat. Well, that's not possible. That's not possible. We only have, I mean, Jesus, it's, do you think we haven't looked into this? We've surveyed the crowd. There's five loaves, two fish. That's it. Unless, of course, you just want us to go and buy food for all these people. There's a genius idea. There are no restaurants. There's no McDonald's down the street. There's no food available. And where in the world will we get that kind of money? Did you see these disciples are just sort of responding to Jesus? Lord, <laughs> um, there's no possibility of that happening. You ever feel like the disciples? Like Jesus has called you to an impossible task? Maybe he's, he's called you to love an unlovable spouse. Maybe he's called you to raise an impossible child. Maybe he's called you to provide for your family and you don't have the, you don't have the job, you don't have the ability. Maybe he's called you to find joy and peace in the midst of a great trial. And Jesus has called you to these things, and you have a sense in your, in your heart that you know Jesus has called you to these things, and yet it's, it's not possible. It's not possible. 
So what's going on? Well, it's an exam. Jesus knows there's five loaves and two fish. He knows that the day is wearing on. You see, Jesus wants to see if they've learned anything in the internship or if they're able to apply what they've learned. They have learned things. They learned that you can live dependent on God and and God will be faithful to provide for all their needs. None of the disciples came back from their internship and said, we have not eaten for a week. God was faithful. They had seen the power of God at work in their ministry, and that power had never failed them. They had never said to a sick person, rise up from your bed of sickness, and and the person just laid there. They had never tried to heal someone who had some um, great disability and found that the power of Jesus was insufficient. They had learned things. But you see, they, they had not learned how to apply the things that they knew to the reality of that circumstance that they were currently in. They had knowledge without understanding. There are all sorts of people, you see, who know things about God, and yet to understanding means you know what to do with the knowledge you have about God. So not one of them apparently thought to have Jesus take care of this problem, to have Jesus do something to magnify his goodness and power and glory. If, if you think that one of them would have said, wait a minute, do you remember when Jesus said to the waves, be still, and they were still? Do you remember when he raised Jairus' daughter? Do you remember, right, they could just go through the whole list. I think Jesus could handle this. I think, why don't we just ask Jesus to magnify his goodness and his greatness, his power, his glory, and just feed these folks? Not one of them thought of it. All they saw was the massive human need and their utter inability, both of which were true but were not the end of the story. See, no one apparently saw with the eyes of faith the availability and the sufficiency of Jesus right there in their midst. Does that sound like anybody you know? Can you remember a time when you were just faced with the, with the need and you saw the inability, but you just, for whatever reason, didn't have the eyes of faith to see Jesus, the maker of the universe, the one who loved you and gave his life for you, standing right there? See, this is incredibly common, isn't it? This is so common. You know, the truth of God is so easy to believe when we're sitting together in church and we're hearing a sermon or we're singing our favorite worship song and we can believe true, wonderful things about God and we really believe it. We actually believe that God uh, is able to do everything that we read about in these, in these pages, that he's able to provide for two million people in the wilderness for 40 years. And yet in the moment of our need, we can so easily forget everything that we profess to believe true. It just... We can forget. The car breaks down again. An illness strikes at the most inopportune time. We lose our job. Some dearly hoped for relationship fails or um, just provides great heartache and, and all the faithfulness and goodness and kindness and compassion of God that we believed in church just seems inaccessible. We can't, we can't trust it. We can't lay hold of it. We have knowledge, but we, we, we can't seemingly apply that knowledge in the moment. Well, what does Jesus do for these, these poor, unbelieving men? He instructed them to 
have the crowd take a seat, about 50 to a group, and so they did. And then verse 16, taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Again, I would have loved to heard that prayer. I think even more, I, I, I would have loved to watch the faces of the disciples. They don't know what's going to happen. All they know is Jesus takes this pitiful little bit of food, and there's at least 5,000, maybe 10,000 people out there all hungry and expectant now that Jesus had them all sit down. And Jesus takes this little bit of food, and he gives thanks. Father in heaven, thank you for this bountiful food we're about to enjoy. Blessed to our bodies. Thank you for your provision for all of our needs and our wants. Amen. I mean, if I'm the disciples, has, I mean, Jesus is acting like there's no problem here. He's acting like, he's, well, he's acting like there's a Father in heaven who knows exactly what they need and who's able and willing to provide. It's astonishing. And so Jesus broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples to set before the crowd. And this is a unique miracle. There wasn't suddenly this magnificent mountain of food there. The disciples had to believe every step of the way. Again, Jesus would give, right, he'd have the first guy come in line and he'd break off some bread and give it to him. says, take it to that group right there. And so he'd go and, and take it there. And then the next guy is in line, right, and all the way through the line. And then they got to come back and get some more food. And every step of the way, you see, they need to trust that Jesus knows what he's doing. He's able to provide. It's not going to run out. And it doesn't run out. Jesus, the maker of the universe, is creating matter as he's feeding the crowd. It's astonishing. The God, you see, who made this world is able to provide in the wilderness. He's able to provide for his people. and His provision is always sufficient. And so as they, they all ate and they were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Now, why do you think there were 12 baskets of bread left over? You ever think of that? Why 12, bre- why, why 12 baskets of bread? Well, I, I think it's... How many disciples were there? There were 12. How many uh, of the disciples had believed that there was insufficient provision to accomplish the task that Jesus had given them? Well, that would be 12. You see, at the end of this miracle, there is a basket full of bread for every man. Every single one of them had a basket full of bread as Jesus' answer to their unbelief. That's not, it's not possible, Jesus. <laughs> And there they say, can you imagine them bringing their basket full of bread back to Jesus after everyone had eaten and was satisfied? It's pretty convicting. Have you ever thought about the fact that every time we complain, we're doing it over a basket full of bread? All the evidences of God's love and faithfulness and goodness to us, we've got a whole basket of it, and, and we're saying, Lord, it's, it's not possible. Do you see why this had such a profound impact on the disciples? I think this is why it's included in all the gospel accounts. It's such an essential message for them to learn that, you see, Jesus is going to send them on a great impossible mission. Go into the world, the world that hates me, hates God, the world that's in bondage to unbelief and and enslaved in death. Go to that world and make disciples of me. That's the commission. 
And they're going to face unbelievable obstacles, the obstacle of unbelief, the obstacle of death, spiritual death, the incredible pagan practices of the world of their day, demonic opposition that was just prevalent, rampant in their day, the obstacle of political oppression from Rome, religious oppression from the Jews. Yet in the face of all of those obstacles, Jesus will Give them the power they need to carry out the commission he's given them. Make disciples. Feed my sheep. How could they do that? Well, they can only do it by relying on Jesus. The minute they began to look to their, what they had, their ability, what they could naturally produce, they were done. But if they would remember Jesus, if they would remember that he's King of kings and Lord of lords, just like they were proclaiming, if they would remember that he had this great power to do the impossible, that he would give them everything they need to carry out their mission, well, then they could go with confidence and boldness, totally relying on Jesus, trusting that his power is sufficient to every task. And they learned their lesson. So when Peter and John go and they see this paralyzed man begging them for alms, what does Peter say? Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, take up your bed and walk. I don't have anything, but Jesus Christ of Nazareth has something for you. And the man got up and walked, walking and leaping and praising God, and it spawned a revival. That's what Jesus calls the church to. We need to start in our own life. Think about the obstacles that you find in your own life's mission, just to be a child of God, a servant of God, the obstacle of indwelling sin, the obstacle of your unbelief, the obstacle of just your fears and anxieties and the difficult circumstances that you experience. And so often we, we face these things, saying, Lord, I just can't. It's not possible. I don't, I'm not able to do it. And, and, and of course, Jesus is saying, The maker of the universe is standing right there. He's standing right there. And we've got a mission, friends, in the world around us. We really do. There are people who are going to hell without Jesus Christ every single day. Have you tried to minister to people the gospel? You'll find obstacles. People love their sin, people cling tightly to their idols. They love their eroticism, their materialism, their secularism. They love their syncretism as they blend religious, spiritual ideas together and create their own religion. Uh, some, many, and increasing numbers are professing atheists. They laugh at the church. They laugh at the truth. So what, what do we have for that? How can, we, how can we hope to make progress there? Think about the great needs of our, of our cities and our world, the brokenness, the poverty, the crime, the, just the death in the world around us. Because the temptation is just sort of tune it out and shut it off and just try to focus on, on making it through. But, but Jesus calls us to a ministry. It calls us to a mission. Right in the middle of all this overwhelming need, what do we have? How can we possibly face this and be successful? Well, we have Jesus... We have Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who gave his life for sinners. We have him. You see, we forget, don't we? One of the greatest challenges we face as Christian disciples is that we forget. And, and when we come down with that spiritual amnesia, our world gets so small. And we go into spiritual decline. We begin to panic and we get anxious and, and, and worried and Instead of being carried along by the 
wind of the Holy Spirit, we trudge along under our ever-diminishing abilities, weighed down by the guilt of unconfessed sin, experiencing loneliness and doubt and discouragement and anxiety just because we forgot, exactly like the disciples. And so you see, Jesus tells the, gives this example to his disciples of that day and to his ex- disciples today. The feeding of the 5,000 reminds us God is not limited by our inadequacies. He is magnified in doing his will and his power in spite of them. God's not panicking that you're so frightened and you're, so, you're anxious or you're, you're just wounded or that you, you just don't know how to move forward. God, is, God has called you right to where you are and the weakness that you experience. God, is, God has called you there and, and God has, has given a charge to you to trust in him and to bless others with the good news of the gospel, to minister to the real needs of people, to be ambassadors of grace, messengers of peace, trusting in his provision. A little poem I found in Reckon's commentary. How long will God, will God provide for you? It goes like this. Yesterday he helped me. Today he'll do the same. How long will this continue? Forever. Praise his name. Forever. We've not been left as orphans, folks. The Holy Spirit of God has been given to us. Isn't that incredible? The Holy Spirit of the living God has been given to the church. We have everything we need, and we have a calling. Proclaim the kingdom. Spread the gospel. Engage the powers of hell in your own life and heart, and the life and heart of those around you, and the life and heart of the world around you. All the brokenness that we see, we have everything we need to engage that world those realities with the good news of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, and with the power of God himself. We have all we need. We have Jesus. And so speak the truth of Jesus to your heart. Speak the truth of Jesus to your circumstances. It doesn't mean there's going to be a quick switch and everything gets better. It means there's a quick switch and you find joy and peace and hope in the midst of the trials as God works out his purpose in your life and God calls us as a church to his purpose for the church, which is to proclaim the gospel in the power of Jesus Christ. May God grant, friends, that we see the power of God at work in this body, in this community, and that we have the privilege of being agents, ambassadors of the gospel, agents of the grace and power of God in the world that so desperately needs it today. May God grant it. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. I thank you that in Jesus Christ there is power. Thank you that you have, by the power of Christ, raised us up from death and brought us to new life and that you've now made us followers of Jesus with a calling and a mission in the world to speak the gospel, starting with our own heart, to speak gospel truth to our own condem- uh, condemning um, conscience and to the, to the accusations of the devil and to the mocking of the world. We can speak the gospel that Jesus Christ loved me and gave his life for me. And we can speak the gospel to a lost world that Jesus invites sinners today to repent and believe and be raised from death to life. Oh, Father, please, please help us as a church 
to believe the gospel and to speak the gospel and all of it in the power of Jesus' name. And I pray, oh, Father, for every one of us here that, that is in the, in the presence of some great obstacle that we would realize the maker of the universe is standing right there and that though the circumstances are difficult, the glory of the presence of Jesus Christ is more than sufficient and we can have hope and joy and peace in the context because Jesus is in the circumstance. Oh, Father, help us. May we honor you with faith. May we glorify you as we see the power of God at work in our lives, transforming us, making us, oh, God, fruitful disciples of Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.